Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. How long did the show last? More than seven hours. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right. That is, Brian, as you know, football music. Nothing like May football. But, yes, and OTAs, what, started uh, start this week, This right? week. Uh, this is, I believe, the third and final phase. Not to be confused with phase one, phase two. Okay, so in which o- Doris gets her oats. Oh, so, so OTAs are clumped in with the uh, with the three day mandatory camp as well. Then, yes, huh? it's so all it's, one. That's phase three. No, that's that's just its own thing. Mini camp is its Minicamp's own, own entity camp. with its own rules governing how many padded practices and all. That's, that's all June football. This is May mind. football. Blowing my mind. So. As we uh, prepare to embark and do a heavy breakdown of the Vikings' right guard and, and various um, duels that will set up as training camp at um, the Twin Cities Orthopedic Center, is that yeah, correct? nothing like, like offensive near? line intrigue. No, there's not. Uh, you uh, told me that in your, your family, your son is playing flag football. Yes. And he's pretty good at the sport. That, that you've seen some potential there. As, as every father right. will say, but, right? But he's not an uncoordinated, tripping no, he's on his got feet some, type of kid. No, no, and he's interested in it. Okay. And he's interested in getting better. Which leads, which leads us and to And he's your, seven and a half years old. Which leads us to your point, which I find to be incredibly intriguing because it is a firsthand... This is not you hypothetically saying something. This is you and your wife having a pretty clear point of view on on something, and I find this to be very intriguing. As much as he is enjoying, and and as much as he seems to be getting into and learning and appreciating flag football and the nuances of taking a handoff, running a pattern, uh, closing a gap <laughs> on a on a ball carrier, little three technique, yeah, little three technique, <laughs> hand in the dirt. <laughs> um, he will never put a helmet on. I mean that, that we have we have made that determination. He is not playing tackle football for all the obvious reasons of of CTE and, and potential head injury later. Now, my I'm about ninety to ninety five percent on he will never play football. Mm-hmm. My wife is a hundred and twenty, so if we meet somewhere in the middle, he's never playing. And if mom says he's not playing, I don't think dad's really going to be able to veto that. I just uh, and I and I and I. I I don't envision it unless for some reason he has some kind of a golden arm at 10 years old. That's the only way I I don't want to, because he's not going to be a big fat kid or, you know, large boned, (laughs) generous undercarriage child. He's going to be kind of a tall, scrawny kid. So at least I can tell if he's going to be a quarterback and he's got a nice arm, 
We may open the dis- renegotiate, reopen the negotiation, he's but right now. He's not playing another position, though. I, like he's not, not, he's not playing a contact position. Yeah. yeah. Maybe wide receiver, and I know they get drilled too, but I'll leave it, leave it open at that just because they're two skill positions. But he's already playing hockey, uh, which ironically we don't have any problems with concussion wise right now. Um, cause we're just hoping he flames out of that so we don't have to keep buying new equipment. And he's playing baseball, which is what dad would love him to dig into. Uh, even though it's still going to be a time commitment with travel and all that. I don't care. Buy a pair of spikes. Buy a glove, go out there, run around in the summer, and uh, you know protect that golden arm, and and maybe get a pitching scholarship somewhere. So he would start playing tackle football when I believe if you allowed it. I think it's oh, if I would allow it, I would say no earlier than ten. I don't know what the standard is now. Okay. Is it eight? I don't uh, know. A little league no it used idea. to be eight. I'm guessing it's more like ten now. I think most youth associations and probably school systems would not allow tackle football before the age of 10. I'm just speculating on that. Um, as far as our own arbitrary deadline, I would say 10 at the earliest. And just kind of get first, you know, how much he loves it, how much he appreciates it, how much upside, I can't, I can't believe I'm saying that, upside there is. Well, I mean, if he's got a lot of upside, there's a college scholarship could on the line. Prof- yeah, could exactly. be a value pick. Yeah, exactly. could be a value pick. I mean, if Spielman likes him, you might want to re- reconsider this no helmet stuff. Um but I, I'll just, we'll gauge it by then, but I, we're more than, and I've always said this too, and I don't, you know, look, I cover football, I watch it, always have. There's something about the kind of alpha male attitude that football has as well that I'm not a fan of that is different than other sports. And you know, we like all the hazing and stuff that goes on no, behind the I scenes. Don't mean, no, no, just just that whole it's it's paramilitary, the, the, the harshness of the the coaching, and let's let's break them down to build them up. And you know, back you know, I know it's changed a lot over the years, but you you know, waters for wussies, and just that whole attitude of of football players shoving kids into lockers in high schools and all that. I I know that's a broad generalization. I'm just saying. I don't like the attitude as much as I don't like the injury risk. Uh, I don't want him to be involved in that. Now, that people will be saying, well, what kind of a bleeding heart liberal BS attitudes? That's what's wrong with our country. Nobody's got discipline and character. And it all goes out the window. That's what football does. Football, football, football. Well, maybe, but I can also see it, you know, manifesting itself in baseball, basketball. Perhaps hockey too. That dreaded Canadian import. Um, so anyway, I that that's kind of my attitude. Is I've never been a fan of the alpha male attitude that goes along with the injury risk. So at what point in time would you have the conversation with your son that he is uh, that his career likely in this sport will end at flag football? Well, he knows. We've told him. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He's he's been briefed. Okay, uh, that this will and. He's, you know, sort of indifferent about it. He's seven. He doesn't really know anything, sure. and he knows he's not in charge. The funny thing was, a fl- I don't know where the flyer came from. I think it might have come from school. He brought it home and said, I want to do this. Because my son is crazy into the history of sports right now. He's really getting into the history of the Super Bowls and who won what, and he's learning the Roman numerals and all that kind of stuff. So he's really into getting to know. But one thing he does down in the basement, he will put his Vikings gloves on. He'll put his Teddy Bridgewater jersey, you know, God rest his soul. And he will put on YouTube 
and he will watch the greatest catches of 2017 and mimic them on the couch in the basement. Well, he's a receiver waiting so to happen. So he is he's a receiver waiting to happen, but he is very much into the 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 beauty, the big play, all that. What I want to do is find the top 10 concussion moments in the trenches and show him that video and say, "Look, you could be, you know, you want to you want to know what football's you like? You want to go over the middle? You want to you want to somehow play a collision sport?" Here's John Mackey. <laughs> Just show him Ronnie Light, Ronnie Lott highlights or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, and show, what happens to his finger? You want to be a diva? Jack Tatum. <laughs> you ever hear Jack Tatum? Oh, oh, you'd have to go way back machine for that. You ever hear Daryl Stringley? Find the ESPN jacked up. Because that that, yeah. was, that was the nineties, right? And it was when ESPN was very proud of that. Jacked him up. That was also used as a device in the movie Concussion. He's I don't know CTE if you saw now, that now, but yeah. Did you see Concussion? No, I did not. You should, but they use that as sort of a how it's marketed as the big hits too. So mm-hmm. anyway, what's interesting to me about your you've got a son, right? No, daughter. He's, he's oh. got a daughter. A daughter. There but is I, no way that that the the Harrigans, in my opinion, would allow their child to play football. Uh my wife is very, very anti football and anti hockey as well for the head injury risk. Okay. Even with the daughter, I you know you know, you talk about what sports are they gonna get into, you hope they get into, and God forbid you hope they don't get into. And hockey is one, even she said, you know. You know, women's hockey, girls' hockey, there's, there's no, no actual checking. checking, but they still hit a little bit nice. And yeah, I'd be totally fine with that. And wife is still very hesitant, very, very hesitant about even, even girls' hockey. Well, soccer, there could be, you know, there's no helmets on. There's a lot of colliding there. Oh, absolutely. A lot of is. concussions in soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has said if, if we have a boy at any point, no, absolutely no football, absolutely no hockey. She would put her foot down right away. Football is dangerous. Hockey, I, I would say that that a parent should hide behind the concussion thing, but the actual is time spent going to find indoor oh, ice, no doubt, and mm-hmm. money. It's a lifestyle. Hockey, that's not something I, I mean, love. But. Hockey, but the last thing I would want is driving some little snot nosed kid crying at five a.m. to practice indoors and spend all the money that that costs. Yeah, well, we've you know, already done it for one year. I'll tell you that, and there's nothing more. And what's the bill around? Uh, well, we got a little bit of a break because we did that little wild program, so they gave well, us sure, all the gear. Saying, but I'm just saying, I'm like, saying at okay. the end of the, th- he's going to grow out of that, so we're going to have to start over at some point. Um, I don't even know. I haven't even ballparked it yet. He will never play goalie. There's no question <laughs> about that. Oh, he will the, never play goaltender. The price, the price of playing oh, goaltender, agony. Pads and stylized masks now. Everyone's got their own little mask that they fit to their. And I, I'm going to give them my old. Safety, I'm going to give them my old bird cage that I used to wear give in the, the old beer Billy leagues. Smith beer cage. Yeah, with the little dangling yeah. uh, neck protector. Exactly. There's nothing more soul crushing than being at a rink with no heat at seven in the morning on a Sunday, staring at the guy next to you with that styrofoam cup of coffee and that steam pouring up, <laughs> and you're looking at each other going. What the hell have we got ourselves into? This is going to be a lifetime of yes. of just hemorrhaging cash. And yes. the three things we don't have as a couple, and Dave, you can probably relate to this, mm-hmm. time, yes. money, yes. energy. Yes. Have none of Boom. it. None of it. And that just sucks more out of it. Well, and every sport is sucking money now. They when are. I played Little League Baseball, Traveling Baseball. You had, yeah, a few kids had their own bats, but you had three or four team bats. You had four or five team helmets. You had a team set of catcher's gear, maybe two, if you got a big kid and a little kid that plays catcher. Now, every catcher pretty much has their own gear. Every kid has their own helmet. Every kid has their own bat. Are you serious? I'm dead serious, yes. Well, that's that's a lot of parents that are, aren't saying no. 
It's possible, but the I think it's, it's, it's so almost an expectation now. You know, I started coaching uh, in the high schools, what, 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. And at that point, I was still carrying a bag of catcher's gear and a, a bag of helmets. I haven't carried a helmet in years now. So they all bring so their own? There's no their... catcher's gear supplied by high school baseball? We have some, but all the oh, catchers they don't have want their it. own. They're, yeah, they've got their own That stuff. is parents not saying no. No, you know what that is? That's parents... That's that's Jimmy coming home and saying, well, Tommy's parents bought him his own uh, yes. bat and helmet. And Jimmy's dad saying, well, then, damn it, Tammy, we're going to do the same for Jimmy. And then Johnny takes Timmy's lead. And the next thing you know, I can't believe, I had no idea. I can't yep. believe that. And don't forget the armor now Catcher's that you got to wear on your elbow or the little shin protector in case you fall that's what off a 65 mile all the major pitch. leaguers are looking like now. Mm-hmm. Well, that again, That's I just remarkable. said you just proved my point, Judd. That's parents not saying no. No, I know, but the, it's it's parents not saying no because parents feel threatened by other parents, and they don't want their they don't want their kid if if the rest of the team is buying helmets, they don't want their kid not to have that. But that's ridiculous. I mean, I remember our catcher's gear is catcher's, catcher's gear. gear. Come on, the old catcher's gear from the team, and yeah, and the, Max is shaking his head. The intern is shaking his head. Does he, he have something to say? Intern I, Max, do you not agree with that? Uh, let's find out. No, I'm absolutely agreeing with it. I okay. know plenty of Oh, he's people. shaking his head in disappointment. At the, yeah. the, okay, gotcha. Yes. I know plenty of people who have gotten out and gotten their catcher's gear, and then after two years, if there's a little dirt on it, oh, we got to go get a new one. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Redonkulous. Mm-hmm. What a waste of money. 651 646 if you want to join the conversation. The show is Mackie and Judd. Brian Murphy in for Phil today. We are in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. How did your focus groups feel about cliffhangers? On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On 1500 ESPN. And this portion of Mackie and Judd today, Judd and Murphy, is brought to you by Fred Illinois Ace Hardware and Garden Stores, proud sponsor of The Beer Show. And we're in the TCL Broadcast Studio. So, Murph, um, the interesting thing, I think, about your football opinion and the fact that your kid is playing flag football right now, uh, but, but you and your wife have no interest in him playing the actual tackle sport, is this. If like if you were were one of very few parents, I'd be like, okay, that's interesting, but but you're not. This is where this is where when people say football is going to be fine forever, nothing's ever going to happen to football. Foot, no, that's not necessarily true. Your decision is a reflection, I think, of a lot of people, and rightfully so, which is. There is no good way to make this sport safe. Well, I think it speaks to, and I don't have the demographics in front of me, but I think this is in sport, informed speculation. I think you are going to see in the next 10 years, and it's probably already started happening, that the middle, upper middle class to uh, well-off crowd, college-educated, suburban soccer mom, largely white, is going to say... Johnny's not playing football. Uh-huh. He's not playing tackle football anymore. So where's the pipeline going to come from for NFL players? Your lower income, urban. Yep. Kids trying to hit the lottery ticket, right? Sure. And why do you think they're expanding so much into uh, Latin America and China? Uh, they they're going to need a pipeline of players. Now I'm not saying the the NFL is going to be taken over by Chinese. Uh, you know, 80% like our real estate. But they're going to have to look elsewhere for There's going to have to, there's going to be a depletion of 
And and not only that, but it what is that going to do for the talent level too? I mean, if you're if you're taking out a large chunk of a population that would normally ascend, yep. What is that going to do to the the quality of the sport? I think this is something the NFL realizes now. The flag football league my son is in is uh, nationalflagfootball.com, which is sponsored by the National Football League. So he plays for the Bears. He's got the Chicago C. He's got the uh, one uh, white jersey. Flip it inside out. It's the home blues. So every team he plays, he, yesterday he played uh, the Broncos. They lost. He's played the Lions, who, of course, self-destructed. So, the you know, he won. <laughs> Did they really? No. Oh, too bad. So there's the, <laughs> It'd be great if you had to sit through your kid playing for the Bears against the Lions, and the Lions are up 17-0. Right. The, their coach took the wind in overtime, and we ended up beating them. Uh, and the final is 2017. Uh, but, so the NFL recognizes that they have to develop kids and developing them in the flag football realm. This is age 6 through, I think, 12, the league that we're in. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called the Lombardi League. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's, they, they realize smartly that there is going to be a drying up in the pipeline. Now, does that mean completely dry? No. I just think that there's going to be a lot of parents saying no. And what is the long-term impact going to be on the, the talent level in the supply chain for football players? Uh, 651-646-8255. If you'd like to join the conversation or if you yourself uh, have a child who you said they are not going to play tackle football. The problem, though, is this. Short of making such drastic changes, such as, as taking away helmets, for instance, I don't really see a way to fix this. Taking you, away helmets? Well, if you if you went to, if 30 years down the road, the sport is played where where you didn't wear a helmet, and so the tackling was actually had to be done by me just grabbing you by the waist or something, or flag, like rugby, like rugby. Which well, I, and yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's the way to go. What I am saying is that short of that, taking away the kickoff ain't going to fix this. It might make it a it might make it better, and it might fix some things, but you're not all of a sudden going to have a bunch of parents saying, you know, the kickoff is out. And now I'm all back in. The dangers of the sport are still there. And you can try and and change how guys tackle. And you can try and change how guys go about the game itself. And I appreciate all that. But is that really going to fix the the overall problem? I don't think it is. And if we, we always think about the big hit, we think about the safety closing in on a ball carrier as he catches the ball and gets blindsided. We think of the wide receiver going over the middle and getting blown up. Um, we think of the quarterback with his back turned to a defensive lineman Blind getting just hit. crushed, right? Yes, because the block was missed. CTE and a lot of the players that have suffered from that or have been de- the, the, the dead players that have been determined to have suffered from that are a lot of linemen or a lot of it is determined as repetitive blows. Not one particularly bad blow, but Mike Webster playing center for 20 years and taking head slaps for 20 years from defensive linemen. It's a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you legislate that out of the game. Like, how do you legislate what goes on in the trenches, right? We always talk about the game is won in the trenches. Of course it is, because that is large, strong, brutal men charged with moving large, strong, brutal men out of the way to get to their stated goal, whether you're on offense clearing a hole or on defense closing a hole and coming to a ball carrier. That is where... 
the heaviness and the the head injuries are occurring play after play after play. Not the big blow-up tackles that we see all the time. Not saying that those don't have an effect, but it's the cumulative effect in the line, and I know how... How do you legislate that out? Well, and they tried to say, what, you, you can't? I think now, if a long snapper, if you're in a punting or a kicking situation, that you have to line up to the side and you can't be on top. But the fact is you can't. We're talking and, about five on five yeah, all day long. And concussions happen in football, to your point. Concussions occur a lot of times you don't see them. Like for every huge hit that you do see where you think to yourself, oh my God, that was... You know, Zendejo, 15 years for example, ago, a great hit, and now it's like a cheap shot. For every one of those, you see how many guards suffer concussions, and you don't see it. Or you find out about it on Monday. And the guy doesn't, you know, necessarily take himself out of the game or no. That's my point. I don't know how to fix this. And that's why I keep coming back to, for anyone who says football is not going to be in trouble, well, it's not right now, but eventually I think it will be. I think it will be unless you can just find a group of people to keep playing it who don't care, but that's going to get smaller and smaller. And I don't think you're going to go expand or, or move Jacksonville to London and all of a sudden have everyone there be like, hey, I'd like to play football now. You know, there might be some. Keep an eye on China. Why is the NFL, uh, clearly they're there to make money. But why would the NFL be playing exhibition games in China? Because yeah, you got probably, six billion people. Right. You got six billion potential players at some point that can come over and fill that void. Um, you got that pipeline from Samoa. It yeah. seems like that's been going for a couple of years. Will they go down into you know? Will Latin America, you know, some of the poorer countries in Latin America that look for that baseball lottery ticket, will the NFL be an open door and an opportunity there? Uh, they've been in Mexico for years playing exhibition games. Everybody wants to, everybody knows they're opening a market to make money. But I think at this point now, they're going to be opening those markets to get personnel. That's a, yeah. I mean, that, that's an intriguing point. I've always thought that it it was to just try and market to those people to buy merchandise and stuff. But you might be right. I mean, it might be very, it might be very calculated. If there's a dip in the pipeline, let's say 10 years from now, X, only X amount of, uh, youth football players are progressing into high school and into colleges. Will the NFL have done enough legwork at this point to account for that? I think there's somebody in, in those league offices in Park Avenue that have to be, these are the best and the brightest of businessmen and women. One would hope. Well, brightest, I, the, the, the shrewdest. Most manipulative. The greediest, shrewdest, yeah, sharkish. I was say, don't, don't pat them on the back. Sharkish. Insult them, business, that's fine. <laughs> business people have to be thinking, Roger, if we want this product to keep astronomically growing and revenues grow and franchise values grow, we do need to have players. So we need to be looking at down the road if that American pipeline shrinks or dries up to a degree, we need to have other players come in and fill that void. We'll come back and uh, talk twins with Wetmore from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Hang on. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Hurry up! On 1500 ESPN. The next Joe Mackie. Well, size isn't everything, I guess. Judd Zolgad. He's white. As white as you folks. With empty eyes and a big hollow voice. He loved to travel around with a mean old house. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Talking twins. Now, with 1500ESPN.com senior web editor and resident seam head Derek Wetmore, presented by the Canopy Group for the best insurance coverage at the absolute best price. Now, foul ball in Anaheim. 
think you guys might remember that play, but uh, landed pretty hard. Uh, you know, had a little whiplash, and um, you know, just been getting coming in, and getting treatment on it, and uh, you know, trying to get out there every day. And uh, today, got out there, and it started to stiffen up, uh, and get a little worse. So, um, you know, talking to the trainers and coaches, they just thought it was best to get out of there before it uh, got any worse. So that was uh, Joe Mauer on Friday night after being pulled from the game against the Brewers. Uh, Molitor said that night that he didn't see this as uh, necessarily a DL-type situation. A day after that, Joe goes on the 10-day DL with a a cervical neck strain and concussion symptoms, the important word being symptoms. So, Wetmore, what, in your opinion here, uh, what should the concern be? Because mine mine is anyone who's had concussion issues or symptoms previously, which Joe has both. Um, I see this as yeah, possibly 10 days, and if, if it's 10 days, that's great. But I'm not going to be surprised if it's a month. Yeah, that's the worry, right? The His good buddy from the turn-of-the-century twins is now in a broadcast booth. Doing a great job, but he's in a broadcast booth in no small part because of concussion. That has to be the concern. I'm not saying this is career-threatening or anything like that. Joe's already 35. He's built a great career for himself. But for the rest of this season, Judd, I don't know where this leads. Joe Maurer wasn't at the ballpark this weekend. Uh, The word on the street is that he and Molitor traded texts Saturday. And, hey, how you doing? Everything okay? And he'll be there tonight, is what I'm told. He'll be at the ballpark tonight. The Twins can get their eyes on him. Their doctors can talk with him and stuff and figure out, hey, is this just kind of a mild thing? And, And... I'm personally, Judd, not one to overreact to these kinds of no, things. Let's let it play out. Yeah. Here's my level of concern, though. This happened on a dive in Anaheim a week ago, and symptoms rear their head. Maybe they had been going on for a couple of days, but he played, and, and then they were bad enough to keep him away from the ballpark. That's a week later. That's concerning, and I'm very curious to see what we hear tonight. And he's also had a history too of not necessarily telling them what's going on. So you're I don't know exactly how much right. Of that, You'd mean, know that firsthand. Know that what it's, yeah. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. What also is interesting about this, as far as we know, this is his first concussion playing first base. He's other ones have been all catching related, well, even the lingering one. They were careful to not call this a concussion, but his concussion-like symptoms uh, have emerged. From first base for the first time, boy. That well, was from his concussion though. five years ago, because that's that's to me. There's there's smoke here. The house might not be on fire, but there's definitely some smoke coming from the basement, and I think that's a concern. I, I think if you're the Twins, you're already missing four out of five of your starting infielders: yeah. Jorge Polanco, Miguel Sano, Joe Maurer, and Jason Castro. Done for the season. The only guy standing is Brian Dozier and Logan the, Morrison. Yeah, and Logan Morrison was signed to be the DH sort of backup first base, and and I like Logan Morrison. I got a big piece coming on him uh, for tomorrow's edition of the website. Um, I, I think he's a good power hitter that can really help the Twins down the stretch. But at first base, he's not Joe Mauer. That's like Mitch Garver, Judd. I was giving you the Mitch Garver scouting report this weekend. Oh, this is dead on. How, yes. how is he defensively as a catcher? What's the scouting report? Good defensively, hitter. he's a good hitter. Yeah, he's <laughs> he Mitch really Garver. He can really hit. And that's the concern to me with Logan Morrison too. Defensively, and Bobby at first Wilson base, was for one foot out of retirement. Yeah, well, and and then here's how you know what the Twins think about their catching situation. They have an off day Thursday, followed by two night games Friday, Saturday. Bobby Wilson's catching both of those games. So. Draw your own conclusions. Whatever you want to take from that is up to you. But I'm just saying that Maurer is is he's a he's a big domino, and he's just the latest in a line of dominoes yep. for the Twins infield. You started spring training thinking you were going to have 
Miguel Sano, Jorge Polanco, Brian Dozier, Joe Maurer, Jason Castro. You've got one of those guys right now. I think that's the real. Who's also here. slumping? Yeah, yeah. He hasn't been the Brian Dozier, but I'm also. But this is Brian. I Do- never write this, off Brian Dozier. Yes. Oh no, of course. Right. And this is Brian Dozier. I will go on your radio show and say, "What are they going to do at second base with Brian Dozier? Been so terrible." And then he'll hit fifty-seven home runs this in the next Do- three weeks, and I'll look like an idiot. This is Dozier. Yes, Brian this is Dozier. Him. This is him. Uh, so Patrick had a column on Saturday that I thought was uh, very interesting, enlightening, not surprising. We know it, but it sort of encapsulated the, the whole thing. Buxton and Sano. Sano is rehabbing at Rochester from the hamstring problem now, and it sounds like I did love the line about before he went, they talked to a bunch of folks in the organization, including the nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byron Buxton has gone, has been back to looking lost uh, since his return nine games ago now. He is, is at 115 with one run driven in, and I have him at three for 26. What's going on here? Because Sano, I think I know, and I'm just frustrated. I've been really pro Buxton because I don't think Byron Buxton is doing anything wrong necessarily. Like, I don't look at his. He fouled the ball off his toe. And, and how he works and say, well, he's not trying hard enough. If anything, he probably tries too hard. Yes. But the Buxton thing concerns me because from July 1st, Derek, through the end of last year, he was really good. Yeah. And he doesn't need to be great at the plate. He needs to get on base and he needs to be good. Good is, good is not fantastic, but it's, it's okay. But he's not that. Is this, can we attribute a lot of this to the broken toe? Or is this Byron Buxton again, though, going backwards because you can't have 115? Like that doesn't work. Mm. And, and it's going to, and they're going to try it for a long time and I don't blame them. But my point being is I thought in the second half of last year something was solved. And now I'm, I'm either saying, well, he's still really hurt and he's just trying to play through it. Or worse yet, he's just gone back to all of the same old habits that got him in so much trouble. Yeah, Judd, to me, it's both. To me, he is definitely still playing hurt. We talked to him about the toe. I, I saw him lay up on a ball that I think he catches. He, he pulled up on it yesterday in center field and it goes for a base hit. And at the same time, he still might be the fastest player in baseball. <laughs> he might be playing with a broken toe and able to outrun everybody. I, and I'll zoom in on the quick micro before I zoom back out and say, I think that this is a real concern. I think that this is a problem for the Twins because I think he has gone backwards at the plate. But we have to give him credit for yesterday. Gets on base. He stays on a slider. Uh, single to the outfield. He's on first. And then as Brian Dozier striking out, Buxton steals second. And they hurried the throw because that's what you do when Byron Buxton is on the bases. You're scared of everything. The Brewers hurry the throw and ends up in the outfield. He winds up on third base. Well, there's only one out. It's a tie game, so the Brewers draw their infield in. Max Kepler, next hitter, pokes a little bleeder through the infield, through the drawn-in infield. RBI single goes in the box score as yay Kepler, RBI hit. Two things. I don't know that that's a hit if the outfield is playing at regular depth. And they're only playing at regular depth because Byron Buxton created two extra bases by virtue of being very fast. So he can still do little things that impact the game even when he's not quote-unquote right at the plate. With that being said, I think he's taken a very real step backwards from what we saw from him in the second half last year. From everything from the All-Star break on, Byron Buxton was a superstar-level player. One of the best defenders in all of baseball and he was coming around at the plate, hitting for power, getting on base, creating havoc like I just talked about. We're not seeing that Byron Buxton right now, and that has to be concerning because what you saw last year, he'd, 
He'd get ahead in the count, get 2-1, he's looking for a fastball, boom, drive it to the gap, triple. This year, and this is anecdotally, but what I'm seeing recently at the plate is he goes up there, and before you even know it, it's 0-2. Yes. And now he's in defense mode, yes. and it's, oh gosh, that slider a little bit off the plate, I have to swing and try to protect it, and he's having contact issues. Part of the contact issues are not his fault. The Twins rushed him back from his injury because they couldn't stomach to watch Robbie Grossman play the corner outfield anymore. So they inserted him quickly in the lineup and said, hey, you're our center fielder, and we hope you get on base. The timing's not there yet. That's obvious. But the more concerning part to me is 0-2, 1-2, you know, basically right away, and any hitter. Mike Trout 0-2 is not Mike Trout that you're used to seeing. So when a hitter like Byron Buxton gets into that spot... It starts a concerning trend, and, and I don't know how he gets out of that, but that's going to be challenge 1A for Paul Monner and the Twins for the next couple of weeks. I had the benefit of sitting in the third, uh, first base camera well because being part of the grounds crew, and I saw him bunt through a squeeze. Yep. Uh, this was, what, the third inning maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, bunt through a squeeze, and then he was at least three days behind the next fastball that came. <laughs> now, but what Paul Molitor mentioned this yesterday, too. Buxton's probably the one guy that gets lost in his head more than anybody else on that club. And, I think that's true. And probably tries to overcompensate, overthink, becomes very mechanical. Offensively. At the plate, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not defensively. Yep. Offensively gets lost in his head, loses confidence, falls behind, overthinks. You know, if, how do you get somebody out of that? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's, that's on him. Right. That's well, on him. There's only so much you can do to reassure him. But that's been something since the day he came up happens. Yeah, and Paul Molitor did talk with him this week. They gave him a little blow. I think it was Saturday. Hey, yeah. sit down. Yeah, the, the new kid played on The Saturday. day JK played yeah. center field, yeah. yeah. It, it was, hey, sit down. And Molitor said he tried to affirm him. Just a quick conversation with Buxton. You're a good hitter. Remember the last three months of last season? But you're going back to that You're again. a really good hitter. And I asked Molitor yeah. about this counts thing, Judd. I asked him yesterday. I said, it's anecdotal. I don't have like the the numbers here in front of me to back this up, but it just seems like, Murph seems like you agree with this, it seems like he finds himself in a lot of 0-1 counts, 0-2 counts right away. Like Buxton walks up to the plate starting with a handicap of 0-2. And, and that's bad. That's bad for every hitter in baseball. He's Last guessing. Year, He's guessing. And it's it's predetermined swings. It's guessing which pitch is coming. And it's you're looking for a fastball and you get a slider off the plate and swing at it anyways. The best hitters in baseball don't do that. They go up and, as Molitor said, quote, own something early. And what I take that to mean is like you're coming up with guys on base and you say, okay, what I want to do is get a fastball inside. The first pitch of the at-bat, if it's not that fastball right where you're looking for it, right where you're ready to crush it, Mm -hmm. you then take that pitch even if it's a strike. And that's not what I'm seeing at all from Buxton right now. I think he needs to get back to those good counts, get away from predetermined swings, learn to read what the pitcher is doing to you. And, guys, this is a lot easier said than done, but I'm only saying this because we've seen him do it. We've seen him accomplish this before. Second half of last year, this is exactly what he was doing, and if he can get back to that... It smooths over a lot of other problems for the Twins. More Twins talk from the TCL Broadcast Studios with Derek Wetmore. Mackie and Judd now continue. Oh, well, that just makes my nipples hurt. <laughs> 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 yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Minnesota United had a 1-1 draw with Sporting KC yesterday. They're back at it this Saturday at TCF Bank Stadium once again, taking on the Montreal Impact. 
Judd. Tune in 6.30 for the pre-match show. That'll be with Brian Pyatt, of course, followed by kickoff at 7 with Dan Terhar on the call. Catch all the action Saturday and all season long right here on 1500 ESPN. Zolgad, Brian Murphy, the Pioneer President for Mackey today. Uh, Derek Wetmore joining us uh, for the remainder of this hour talking twins. I'll just say this quickly. We are the radio home of the loons. God bless them. But when an opponent goes by the name Sporting KC, give me a break. How pretentious do, do you need to get? What about Sport, Mon- Sporting KC? More Montreal Impact, another singular team name? Yeah, I don't like the singular, but I can take it. It's a name. Okay. Sporting K- We're Sporting KC. We're coming to your town. We're Sporting KC. Come on. Just pick a name. And by the way, make it something creative. What? Why this team's not the loons, I don't get. Anyway, all right. Derek, uh, I have co- I'm coming to you with a positive on my notepad. A wow. twins positive. Okay. Because I don't do this probably enough, and uh, th- this team has certainly been disappointing for much of this year, so they don't deserve it. But Fernando Rodney now has nine saves. After an April in which Fernando, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, first eight games. So this was up to his last appearance in April. He had pitched in eight games. 6.75 ERA, five earned runs in six and two thirds, two walks, eight strikeouts at that time. He was one and two with two saves and three blown saves. Since then, in the last eight games, he has not allowed a run. He has pitched eight innings. He has five walks and uh, ten strikeouts. But the point being, and six saves. But the point being is, it turned out to be right, just like like last year. For everyone who thought Fernando Rodney is a complete train wreck and disaster. Fernando Rodney has done the exact same thing, which is a terrible start, yeah. followed by a marked improvement. Yeah, and I said at the time, in my Five Thoughts column then, and I gave uh, Fernando Rodney a little love yesterday in the Five Thoughts column, that it's been it's actually been nine in a row, nine scoreless outings since that blown one in New York, and as I wrote, since Miguel Sano blew a save for him in New York, because that's the whole point, is like, April was bad for him, but he actually didn't pitch that horribly. He, he still had the fastball. But he's running up into the mid-90s. He still has that devastating changeup. He wasn't throwing it that much in April. And I always kind of wonder about that in, in the first month of the season. Is it comfort? It's a feel pitch. Is it because it's cold? Does that impact it? I just, I wrote at the time that he blew the New York save. I wrote a column saying, like, you got to change these five things to even think about getting back on track. And given how much I've been criticized, Jed, for being a hot take artist this year, I think I deserve a little bit of back credit for saying stick with Rodney at closer. Rodney stays in the ninth inning as one of my five changes. Mm-hmm. Keep Addison Reed as this roving guy, whatever. Addison Reed's been quietly great. Fernando Rodney's been celebrated now for for how great he's been in May. And you know who else deserves some credit for this? It's not just Fernando Rodney for pitching well through it, but for his manager not overreacting and saying, Let, bad April, we got a couple better relievers, you're out, you're in. Move on, bub. Paul Molitor is kind of known as this like even-handed, patient, cerebral guy, but I still think that he deserves credit for staying the course at closer when when everybody, at least on my Twitter feed, Judd, I don't know what yours is like. Yours is probably a, a, a mess compared with mine, but mine was get Rodney 
out of baseball, not only out of the closer role, off the team, out of the clubhouse, and out of baseball. And Molitor and put a quiet, bullet in his ear. <laughs> Molitor quietly said, "Like thanks, but no thanks." Right. Stuck with him, and he's been great in May. He's he's been a big part of why the bullpen is trustworthy now in the late couple of. I innings. think there was a pivot because I happened to cover. There was a pivotal game a Saturday against Cincinnati. Sure. I think he walked the first two batters he faced, and yeah, this that was sounds coming like off of, that was this was coming off that New York Tampa trip, okay. right where it was awful. All right. And he was bo- getting booed. Sure. And that is where I think that was the game Molitor very easily could have put Reed out there, but he didn't. Sure. He stuck with his eighth inning and ninth inning plans. He put Rodney out there, who did get out of the dr- trouble, I think, a couple of deep fly balls, yeah, too. Yeah, it was an adventure. Happen. But yesterday, he was fantastic. I yes. watched the ninth inning. and uh, Untouchable. His, it, the, the first fastball he threw, I can't remember if it was in Santana at the plate. It might yeah, have been. Yeah, Domingo Santana. It, it dove about eight inches. Yes. Down and down, from the middle of the plate down to his shoe tops. Yep. Well, And I've, then he struck out the side. I've so. got the ninth inning circled from yesterday. And there are two things. It's, it's Rodney just looking. He overmatched the Brewers hitters. He should also give a little bit of love to his teammate, Addison Reed, who the previous inning in a tight ball game faced 3-4-5, so he could come on in a clean ninth inning, no base runners, and face 6-7-8. That's a little bit easier still. Pressure's dialed up. You've got these questions about your job. And I, I talked to him after the game. I was like, oh, it just seems like you never really panicked. And, you know, he's animated. He's firing his arrow off into center field, and he's celebrating. And he's a really, like— His hat's not on straight. Yeah, well, whatever. He's, he's just very loud and, like, is, it seems like he has that closer personality. When he's on the mound, you watch him, and you're like, yep, that he's got that charisma of a closer— and then 15 minutes after, we're talking to him in his double-wide locker in the clubhouse, and he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always trusted my stuff, and I felt confident the whole time. I, I know April wasn't good, but this is part of my job. I'm, I'm only doing my job. And it was, ju- it was just so funny to hear the difference of right. here's this wild celebration to oh, I'm really I'm only doing my job if I just was good yesterday, bad yesterday, no different. Well, you he's have to come a- in and be good. He's taken a lot of bullets over the years, you know, especially in Detroit, I think, too. So he's just got a thick skin. But Are they I, nasty there, Brian? They can be, uh, especially when they were in contention. Now I think they're just expecting the worst. Sure. Uh, he I just highlighted this. 309th career save. He's one shy. Do you know who it is? Goose Gossage. Okay. I saw it was the in the notes. Yes. I saw it the was note. in the notes. I Never saw the mind. note yesterday. <laughs> All right. Within one of the Goose. <laughs> the Goose is in the Hall of Fame. I know. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, Rodney's, Bitter, but in the hall. Rodney's got some credentials as adventurous as he can be. He's got some thick skin. Yeah, and I think that that sort of, um, that even keel. Look, if he didn't have the fastball and changeup, I wouldn't be talking about his even keel. But sure. I think the fact that he pairs that repertoire, the fact that he's 41 and still has that arsenal, and then pairs it with the been there, done that, what have you done for me lately, I've got to show up today no matter what yesterday held, I think both of those things are a big impact for that bullpen. Tigers uh, come to town starting for a series tonight, right. Derek. Guardy's uh, back. Guardy. How, how much credit does he deserve? Because I think all of our expectation was this Tigers team was, was going to be awful. And if I am not mistaken, they're at least a game or two up on the Twins right now. Yeah. Well, the but, Twins are up a game right now. But it was close this weekend. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. But my point, my point being is I don't think they're as, as bad as we expected That's they right. might be. That's true. Tr- too Tr- early to it's say. It's a positive judge segment. Triple A yeah, wow. team. Yeah, he is managing a collection of guys you haven't heard, and and they have them around five hundred. I I think it's too early to say. I don't think Detroit has the pitching. I don't think they have the lineup to continue this for the full season. So, 
I don't know what my expectations are going forward. Didn't mean to but, teeth from you. No, you know what? I'm going to ask today. If this doesn't come up in the Ron Gardenhire, I assume he's going to address local media oh, yeah. at some point, have a big scrum. And 340. I'm curious to know. Oh, thank you. I'll be there. I'm curious to know. <laughs> hey, Brian did you did you do? He's doing the media scheduling now yeah. down at Target Field. Hey, in Gardy, addition to the grounds Gardy, crew. 340. Mr. Do Everything. Bengals are going to need you in the dugout. Hey, I think that there is something to be said about ignoring negativity. And Mike Zimmer, when he came to town, was very much on this. Not ignoring negativity, but, but flaunting it in your face. I think in football, that's fine. Hey, these guys doubt you. And Brian, I remember you and Mankato one year. When everyone was picking the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl, and Zimmer said, nobody's given us any credit. And you were like, really? This act again? <laughs> yes. And yes. He, the, the baseball mindset just has to be different, I think, than football. And in baseball, I think there's a lot of, of course, if you're a Tigers player, you know that nobody's picking you to go. But there's something, I think, and this is what I want to ask about, to, how do you keep the clubhouse spirit up when everybody is counting you out from the first day of spring training? Because I think there has to be something to that. Battle That's sort of this, the secret sauce, I think, of being a manager that goes beyond the do you pinch hit here in the eighth inning in a one run. Like, all of that stuff, you, you can kind of figure that stuff out, and that's through experience, and there's some math involved too. But there is very there is very much a real component to managing people and managing a clubhouse, and I think – for all you uh, Twins fans that want to criticize Gardenhire, believe me, I was standing in that line too. It was time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you could pick faults with individual things wrong, things in-game, wrong course. in-game management stuff that you could say, like, really? What, like, what yeah. are you doing there? But even as like a cold calculating stats guy that I am, there is just something to that secret You're sauce. Heartless, that, Wetmore. I know it. I know it. Heartless. Analytically heartless. Robotic. It's it's brutal. But Gardenhire has that it. And so far, it's working for Detroit. I'm, I'm curious to see where they'll be at the end of the season. But Thank give, you, sir. give him that. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Uh, ch- check out Derek's uh, work, 1500ESPN.com. Uh, a bunch of stuff up on the Twins, including plenty of speculation about what they might do at catcher. Murph and I will fix some things next, thanks to our friends from Roof to Deck. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Wow, the suspense. <laughs> this is a cliffhanger. Mackie and Judd. Cliffhanger. On 1500 ESPN. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.